we are going to get into the word and uh, if you read the newspapers or you you grew up uh, certainly you don't have to be as old as me but one of the issues that society struggles with not not struggles with but questions is uh, in the 70s I think it was is God alive and uh, the relevance of the church it it it, it is an important issue, and you will find that in society in general, uh, a lot of the resistance that you meet when people talk about the church is, oh, it's a crutch, oh, it's this, oh, it's not relevant, you know, we, we need to, uh, whatever we need to do, whatever ideas people have, but the issue that, that the world struggles with, and we in the church sometimes struggle with, which we shouldn't, is, is the church relevant? And we're going to speak on that today. Is the church relevant in today's society? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that we can gather together as a body of believers, <coughs> that we can gather together, Father God, in the strength of your name and in the courage that you give us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord God, that your anointing rest upon this service. Father God, rest upon each and every individual that, that uh, Father God, your embrace is just, is just felt in a very tangible way in the lives of all of us today, Father, that as we come here, we come to hear the message that you have for us to hear. Father God, I just pray that you anoint that message and anoint the messenger. And Lord, we just, we just thank you. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Our, <coughs> excuse me, our scripture this morning, our key scripture, is going to be Matthew 16, 18. So if you'll turn to Matthew 16, 18. And we read in Matthew 16, verse 8. As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to start reading in verse 13. This is Peter's confession. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asks his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is Jesus himself speaking when he, when he speaks in verse 18, and to, or excuse me, in verse 17 and 18, this is the first mention of the New Testament church in the Bible. And he says in verse 18, Upon this rock, he's referring to Jesus himself, who is the only foundation of the church. He's not referring to Peter. He's referring to himself. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And then he goes on to say, uh, uh, And the gates of hell shall not prevent, prevail against it. But he, the church, when he talks about the church, we've had a very interesting study in the Bible school class on Sunday mornings, a New Testament survey. It's been very revealing to me. I hope to everyone as much as it has been to me as I teach the class. But one of the, the underlying themes of all of this New Testament 
survey is the fact that Jesus established the church. He brought salvation. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, spoke about the story of Jesus and his life. And from that point in time on, they begin to... Uh, uh, he begins to, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the writers, Peter, Paul, uh, Timothy, you know, all these others who, who, who uh, contributed to the New Testament, he begins to, to uh, explain what the church is. Oh, hi, Manuel. I haven't seen Manuel in a long time. It's good to see you here. <laughs> okay, he begins to explain what the church is, and he tells people, he says, I am going to gather from all the world, from different peoples, from different lands, from different cultures, and understand these were very pagan cultures in that time, not unlike the cultures in which we live. He said, I'm going to gather a group of people together. And this church, what is this church? It's the body of Christ, made up of all born-again believers. He said, I'm going to take this group of people who believe on me, and irregardless of your race, your nationality, uh, your background, your culture, I'm going to mold you into a group of people and I am going to call you my church. Now we understand that having the New Testament now to read and having done this survey or, or, or doing this survey, but, but we have available to us all of that information. But at this time, Jesus is initiating, inaugurating the church and he says, upon the rock of Christ, I will build this church he goes through the New Testament. We find he explains what the church is, what its purpose is, the responsibilities that we have, the privileges that we have as believers, the proper administration of the church, the way to choose leaders in the church, the things to guard against. And he says, he doesn't say that here, but as we read the New Testament, all of these things he says, but here he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Ephesians, we see that, and this is written by Paul, and the base, I, I, don't, I don't have a scripture in Ephesians, but uh, the basic theme in the book of Ephesians is the church. And the church is a new community purchased by Christ to carry out the purposes of God in this world. Now, one thing we have to realize, and we always come up against, uh, all of us, and we've heard it before, is, well, I can, I can be in church and... and I mean, you know, my church is the golf course, or my church is the lake, or, or my church is whatever other, ever form of recreation uh, uh, that I choose to do. Charles Stanley, who is a Baptist minister, I believe probably one of the, the preeminent uh, Bible expositors in the United States today, was talking about being at a, a, a conference one time, signing a book signing. He's, he's a, a published author, and he said, you know, people go by, and he's signing the book, and he he said, well, what do you want me to write in the book? And, oh, to Janet or whoever, uh, your good friend Janet. And he said, okay, Janet. And he said, uh, and where do you go to church? And she goes, Bedside Baptist. He said, what? She said, Bedso Bedside Baptist. And he goes, I've just never heard of that. And he goes, she goes, well, I, you're, you're on TV on Sunday morning, so I just roll over in bed and turn the TV on and I watch you. He said, that's not good enough. You know, that's not good enough. The issue is, the thing, the thing that we need to realize is that this community, we being a part of this community, those of us who are purchased by Christ, we are in this world the visible manifestation of Christ. Not just in the world, but in this community. 
Word of Life Church, and, 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 and other churches too, but Word of Life Church in this community, I'm going to confine the discussion to, to this, my church, my local assembly. Word of Life Church is the visible manifestation of Christ in this community in which we live. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a part of a home Bible study or a home study group, but I'm telling you now, you will not grow apart from the church. And there is a deceptive uh, line of reasoning that says in society today that I can basically do my own thing and that I can mature and grow in Christ. I'm here to tell you that is, in fact, false. You cannot grow spiritually apart from the church. And God has established, you see, Christ said, on this rock, I will establish my church. He is saying, I'm going to establish a church. I'm going to give you all of the resources and all the information you need to put this church into place. We talked a little bit about the issue, of, and this is kind of a, 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 a bad example to use, but the issue of McDonald's. You go anywhere to, anywhere to eat in the world, you go to McDonald's, what are you going to find? They're all the same, pretty much. You know, we discussed that this morning. Yeah, probably there's some differences, but they're the same. You know, they're going to be the same sign, the same thing, how many burgers are served. The menu is going to be consistent. The issue is that's the way that their business succeeds. That's what they want. They want you to identify McDonald's with those issues that they feel like make them a strong business, a strong competitor. And that's the way the church is. God said, the church, you're going to find it in the world. I'm going to give you all the instruction that you need to establish this church. But you know what I want from the church? Consistency. I want it to be the same. Whether you're in Asia Minor, whether you're in Indonesia, whether you're in India, whether you're in Pakistan, whether you're in Iran, whether you're in Iraq, anywhere you are, I want the church to be the same. I want it to be identified in a certain way, by a certain by a certain attitude. I want it to be established. In other words, why do you suppose when we build churches? Now, of course, we don't have a steeple. A lot of churches have steeples. What's on the top of that steeple? A cross. Why? Because they want it to, we, we want the cross to be visible where people can see. We spend a great deal of money on this beautiful stained glass window. We built a big stone cross right outside in front of the church instead of in back of the church. Why? Because we want people to see that cross, and we want people to know that's what we're about. We want to be the visible manifestation in this community of Christ. When people, we were in here in the, in the office one day, it's been some time back, and uh, I think Brother Cole was here, and we had a young man just walk in. He just, he just said, do you mind if I go in there? Pointed to the sanctuary. We said, well, sure, is there something we can help you with? He says, no, I just feel like I need to be in there. Now, that is, what, that is what God, I think he'd come from the jail at, at, at some point in time. And anyway, he had just been moved. He just knew he needed to be in the presence of Christ. He just knew he needed to be somewhere where, where God was. Now, I, again, I have, I have no uh, issues of some, but no, you know, the, this issue of, of home uh, Bible studies being a church and, and, and home study groups. That's fine. You can learn. However, I am just here to tell you, when I come into town and I want to go to church, when that young man comes into town and he feels the need, God places upon his heart, I need to be someplace where I can hear the word of God. I need to be someplace where I can pray, where the presence of the Spirit is. 
He doesn't find a home Bible study group. He goes out and he looks for a place where there's a steeple with a cross on it or where there's a stained glass window with a cross on it that says Word of Life Church. The issue is that's why we're here. God wants to draw other people in. And one of the ways he does that is he says, how does, how, how does McDonald's, again, I, don't, I, I want you to know, I have nothing against McDonald's. I, I eat at Sonic's personally. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the issue is, how does, Mc, how does McDonald's, how are they so successful? They find the busiest street corner, and they, you know, purchase it, and they put a hamburger joint up, and they put a great big sign. Every, every McDonald's you go to, I, I, I've been to a couple in different places of, in, in the world, and every McDonald's you go to, you're going to see what? A big set, a big set of golden arches. I mean, that's, that's their cross, if you will. Do you see what I'm saying? When we, as a church, as God established us as a church to be, he wants, and, and it's not this way, but, but I mean, he wants us to be a certain type of an individual and a certain type of a body contributing to a certain attitude and a way of living and a way of, 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 uh, of uh, uh, going about and doing the things that he's, he's called us to do. And he, he, he puts a church together. And that's what we're here for. We're here to be his visible manifestation in the world and in the community. Okay? Um, in verse 18, this is a, a, a very prominent verse that he speaks, Paul does, excuse me, Jesus does, when he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <coughs> hell in the Bible is synonymous with, or I don't want to say equal to, but it's the equivalent of, it's Hades. Hell and Hades are interchangeable terms in the Bible. And, and, and it's equivalent, equivalent to Sheol, which is the realm of the dead. The gates that he speaks about, it, or gates themselves, are the entrance to Hades, which is usually death, that is, the unseen world, including all the principalities and powers that are allied against God's people, the church, God's people, the church. Okay? So God says, he's... He, he, against this church that I'm going to establish, just by default when he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, what is he saying? That there will be resistance and that there will be um, trials and that there will be um, uh, difficulty. One of the things that we find in this New Testament study, that, we, that the survey that we've studied, is the fact that uh, one of the things that the church is to do is to preserve the unity. We are to preserve the unity, and we are to preserve and protect the gospel message. <coughs> uh, uh, there are false teachers. There were then. There are now. We need to understand that one of the things that we do is we guard the truth. Because, you know what? We have the truth. No one else has the truth. And when I say no one else, I mean no one else outside the church, the body, born-again believers. God entrusts us with that. He gives that to us to propagate and to spread, but to guard and to keep. You know, even the best people, we, we, we discussed it just briefly this morning, even the best knowing, the best, the best intentioned people can be led astray if, in fact, they do what? They fail to continue in the truth. They fail to continue to read their Bible. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the error or the lies that Satan comes to... I mean, I've heard big lies in my time, really, big lies, big, 
big lies. And you know what? I can spot a big lie a mile off. But you know what? I've had people tell me things that were lies, but there was truth in it, and there's a little bit of a lie. And you know, I, I'd have to think, and I'd think, you know, is that a lie? And I had to go back and find out what the truth was. But if you fail to do that, to go back and find out what the truth is, then see, you can be led astray by this lie. And Satan is continually trying to do that in our lives, through other people and through our lack of diligence. So we need to be diligent, we need to be aware, and we need to understand we have a tremendous responsibility. There has been a tremendous trust that has been given to us, and that trust is the truth. We have, we have the obligation to spread that truth the way it has given to us, apart from any uh, opinions, apart from any cultural differences, just to spread the truth, to tell others what God has told us, okay? Um, author Steve Gallagher, now Steve Gallagher has a website called Pure Life Ministry, has a, has a, uh, a um, really intense uh, testimony, he and his wife, which I won't get into right here, but he's a, he's a published author. He did a, an interesting study on the New Testament term world, and the Greek, uh, in the Greek, that's cosmos. Now, he, 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 he particularly was interested in what was written in reference to the last days using this word cosmos, and he wrote an article. I'm going to quote from this just a little bit here. But, but he, he talks about the power of atmospheres. Anyway, and, uh, he, in this study that he did, he found that the word cosmos, as it relates to the last days, meant an ordered existence apart from God. It is used primarily to describe the corporate consciousness of the people of this world who are in rebellion against God's authority. Understand that many people are in rebellion against God's authority and they don't even realize it. But they are. Cosmos is what binds together the unbelieving world. It is a global mentality that remains a powerful, unspoken force in the lives of mankind. It molds vastly different people groups into one entity which lives out its existence on earth under the domain of Satan unified against God. That is why God said when I establish the church it needs to be the same in every place. Why? Because you will find that the spirit that resists the church and resists the people of God comes from one place. It comes from Satan. Men carry it out. But it's going to be the same. You know, we, we fight against a powerful and an organized enemy. We must never deceive ourselves into believing that that is not the case. And we need to understand that Satan is, in fact, the prince of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. There is a spiritual realm. And to understand that spiritual realm, we need to understand where it's at. Okay? It's right here. It is one heartbeat away from your eyelid the things that are transpiring in this, in the spiritual realm, the things that are transpiring, it's a tremendous warfare. But in the blink of an eye, we can be transferred, we can be transported into that spiritual realm. I mean, in, in terms of, of when we cross the river, when, 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 we, when we pass away and we go on into eternity. But nonetheless, 
when we, we talk about the atmosphere and we think about the atmosphere, well, we don't think about the atmosphere. You know, it's the air, it's the gases, it's the molecules, it's whatever is around us. We don't see it, so we don't think about it. But we need to understand that that is a realm, that is an atmosphere. Well, anyway, uh, in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, uh, let me get there. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's the three classes of sin that, that we're told about. All right? That we, we need to understand that this mentality that is under the domain of Satan, that uh, is unified against God, it's a malignant spirit that's behind this global mindset affecting and deceiving millions of Christians in ways they don't realize. The spirit of this world is constantly striving to lure believers away from a true love for God into a lust for the attraction the world offers. One of the things we find in the New Testament, as you read this, I hate to refer back to this survey, but wealth brings with it a great many temptations. There, there, there are uh, an, a number of people whom God has called to significant lives, but you know what? They have settled for insignificance, but they've settled for success as the world views success, and that's a tragic thing. We need to understand God wants us to live significant lives. And it was brought up this morning. It's not the, 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 you know, we have examples that are good examples. We have examples that are bad examples. But who should be the example? We should be the example. We don't have to be big or famous, you know. Uh, Harold Morris, who I've talked about before, twice pardoned, tr and, and, you know, two life sentences in the Georgia State Penitentiary, talked, had a testimony, you know, just enthralled you. It was a testimony of bad things that happened, but it just enthralled you. That's the way bad testimonies are. You sit there and you listen and say, woo, woo, tell me more. <laughs> but the issue is, he said, you shouldn't want a testimony like mine. He said, when I walk in this church, I look at a man with his Bible under his arm and his wife and his children. He said, you don't look at me and want to be like me. He said, you should look at that man and want to be like that man because that's the important man in this place today. So... When we, when we deal with this issue of the world, we need to understand it's a, a, a powerful force, and it always constantly tugs about us. You know, the war, we, we found out, uh, I've, I've lived through two wars, basically, the, the, the Vietnam War and, and now the war that we struggle with uh, in, in the Middle East. And one thing that I've come to realize and appreciate about the soldiers that are a part of that war, they've done some studies, they've interviewed them, the, the constant diligence. They have a very difficult time when they return home to a safe environment not being diligent. One of those young men was from central Kansas here in a small town. As he walked with the reporter, you know, he's always looking like this. He said, what are you looking for? And he goes, I just, I'm looking for someone trying to kill me. He said, that's just what we have to do, and I can't get, I, I, I find myself still doing that. So there's a level of diligence and a, a, a degree of discipline that we need to apply and we need to understand needs to be applied in these situations that, that there is a worldly enemy who is constantly trying to kill us. Really, kill, steal, and destroy. Lust, lust, pride, that's the three classes of flesh, or excuse me, three classes of sin. In, and in uh, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, Paul makes some very revealing statements when he says, 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. If we, would, if we would follow up in Ephesians and go to the end of that, in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, uh, another, there's another statement that he makes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So he's, he's very forthright in saying, there is a spiritual battle that is transpiring. That battle is trans. We, we don't see it. We don't hear it. We can sense it. We can feel it at times. But it is constantly being fought all around us. All around us. The insight in these statements is, is that, again, this invisible realm surrounds us. Uh, and we've talked about that when, when Paul refers to air in chapter 2. He's not talking about air as we know it, gases, suspended particles, you know, sometimes we get stuff, in, I wake up sometimes in the morning and there's stuff in the air, I don't know why, but, you know, the, the smell from different things just permeates the atmosphere. You know, I can't, I can't, man, I do not, I do not know which feedlot it comes from, but I can tell you this, it comes from a feedlot. And if you, you know, I, I used to drive by the, the packing plant at, at, at Holcomb, uh, on my way to work when I was in, in the, the farm. And there's times when whatever is going on in there is very evident in the air. And, and I, you know, I, I can distinguish between the, the um, issues from the packing plant and the issues from the feedlot, but, but you know, I, there are times when I'm very aware of that. Then there's other times I go by, you know, hey, whatever they're doing is, you, you know, they got perfume coming out the top of the place as far as I'm aware of. But, but the issue is there, there are atmospheres. And see, Paul is speaking about, when he talks about the air, he's speaking about these atmospheres. Now, um, this is a term, I, I kind of hate to use it, but I, I, I can't really explain it in a better way. But I, wa I want you to understand, there are times in this spiritual battle in which we fight, we, we, we understand there is something in the air. And it is something that is impure. And we know that it's there. You can, I, I, I do believe, I do believe that there are atmospheres. If you go, if you go to um, Jack's, uh, Tom's, um, and I'm not running these places down, but I'm saying if you go to establishments that do those things, I believe that you will find there's an atmosphere there. You know, uh, you go to the jail. You know, I've only been to the jail a couple times, but I guarantee you there's definitely an atmosphere there. You're aware of it. It's tangible. The Gideons go to the jail. The, the, uh, I believe that you could walk blindfolded in some of these places. I don't know that the terminology is bad, but uh, uh, a brothel or an adult bookstore, I believe you could walk in there blindfolded and sense the change in the atmosphere. You would know, you would know that there is something in the air that is not right, that should not be there, something that is impure, all right? Well, anyway, uh, we need to understand that these atmospheres, this unseen realm, there are places... Because the Bible tells us men love the darkness rather than they love the light. 
So, so in, in these places of, of darkness, uh, in this unseen realm, this is where devils do their, their work, their dirty work of influencing and deceiving us as mortal, mortals. Uh, you know, Satan and, and his demons possess some kind of power uh, to create ungodly atmospheres within this unseen realm. And, 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 and he's allowed to. He's not allowed to do that in here. But there are places in this community and in this world where he is, there, you know, there are atmospheres in certain communities. I have gone through communities, uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho being one, when I was in college, and I tell you, you could hit the city limits of that town, and you could tell it was an old coal mining town, and it had just become bars and brothels. That was all that was there. And I am going to tell you something. I was not walking with the Lord closely as I should have been in those days, but I can say when, when I, you could just cross the threshold, you could just go into town, there was an atmosphere in the air that really should have put fear in you. If you're, if you're walking with the Lord, fear, I mean fear of God in the respect that you understand, there is something going on here that is dark. Okay? Well, anyway, uh, Paul is stating here that uh, when he says the spirits that now work in the sons of disobedience, uh, there are places that can be gathering places for these demonic spirits. I don't want to overdo this issue because I think in the charismatic, it's ha it, 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 there has been some misunderstanding in years past of this. Let's just say this. We do know there are places where these things are in the air and these things are are we they're tangible we can we should be able to and at some point in time if we're exposed to them for long enough as Christians we will begin to sense that that the devil is at work that Satan is at work well the issue is again as, as we go back to this issue of the church we need to understand that's what the church is established to counteract in this world we know that Satan because because Paul says it here in Ephesians he's the prince of power we wrestle not against flesh and blood we wrestle against things in this spiritual realm and we need to understand that and we need to be aware of it that it transpires around in our workplace and in the places we go and in the people that we're around Paul warned believers to make no provision for the flesh regarding its lust. That's in Romans uh, 13, 14. Because humans are so susceptible to spiritual influence. Paul says, don't get around those people and don't go to those carnal places that affect you that way. That's one of the things, and I've said it before, uh, and I'll say it again a hundred times, when a million times actually, given the opportunity, when we raise our children, we have to tell them, don't get around these people. Don't go to these places. Don't do these things. Why do we do it? We do it for their protection. Why? Because we know that if they are around these places, if they are around these people, if they are around these things, we're going to find that nothing good will come about that. Nothing good will come from that. Because these, these, these places and these people, in many instances, are under the, the power of the, of, of the prince of, the, of, of this air, of, of this life. The truth is, we all spend time in the world. Uh... uh our workplaces vary a great deal. And uh, we, they can be very ungodly places. They really can. However, the issue is, we are the light that's to be shed in that place. We are just to be aware that, 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 uh, that, that these things transpire around us. You know, we need to be looking at the rooftops. 
we need to be looking around. We need to be diligent. We need to be disciplined. We need to know that Satan is out there trying to do his, his, his dirty work. And <clears throat> don't go to those places. And young people, don't hang around those people. It may not be obvious to you. But we need to understand when a man rejects the truth of God, he degenerates doctrinally in his beliefs and morally in his living. And he experiences in this life and in the next the judgment of God. So when I as a parent tell my children, you shouldn't be in this place or you shouldn't be around that person, it's because I know that that person has rejected the word of God and he is degenerating and he will go to place where other degenerates go. And those are not good places for you as my son or my daughter or as my friend or the son or daughter of my friend to be. And I'm going to warn you of that because that's the truth. And that's what God wants us to do is put forth the truth. Again, we go back to Matthew 16, 18. It says, the gates of hell shall not conquer it. The Lord's resurrection will ensure the resurrection of all believers. That's what he wants us to know. <clears throat> His resurrection is a promise to us that will be resurrected. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know what the church is. We know what it's not. The church is not perfect. I can tell you this church is not perfect, and I can tell you why. Because I'm a member, and I'm not perfect. I can tell you that the church in this age oftentimes does not live up to its own expectations. But I can tell you that I know in this body of believers, I, I, we endeavor, though we stumble, we endeavor to be all that God has called us to be in this time that he's called us to be a body in this community. What does the church do that makes it relevant today? We've talked about all of these things that uh, are contrary to the church that the world doesn't even recognize. But what does the, what does the church do that makes it relevant today? There's five things that I've, that I've picked out that I think are important. The first thing, it's the only organization that still, still deals with the issues. What are the issues? What are the real issues of life? You know, salvation. Death. Judgment. I mean, you, you, nobody, wants to, nobody wants to know that they're a sinner much less that there's a judge. I talked to a young lady in my office here just the other day. She's a um, universalist, I think, is what she said. Well, what is that? Well, you know, my folks sent us to this church. They, there's, it's not that uh, one, one way is right or one way is wrong, but the gist of the conversation when we got down to it is she said, I just don't believe that there's a fiery place called hell that a God would send me to. And, and they're 23 years old. And I said, well you know that there is that place, but it's not because you're, a and she made this reference two or three times, I'm a good person, you know. Wanted me to know she was a good person. So for that reason, and based upon that, how she established in her own mind that she was a good person, that surely God wouldn't send her to hell. I just, well, God doesn't send people to hell because they're not good, nor does he send people to heaven, receive them into heaven, because they are good. It's a matter of salvation. It's a matter of of, of coming to, it's Jesus Christ. Do you accept him or do you reject him? That's the only standard about it. And you know, and, and again, I ask her, what is hell? 
Well, you know, she had never really thought about that. She's just thinking a place of flames. But when you really, when I got to talk to this young lady, I began to understand she really didn't know what she believed. Actually, she really didn't believe much. She just was kind of going through life, hoping that in the end, everything comes out like it ought to come out. Well, the church is here to tell people that it's going to come out one way or another, two ways. There's only two ways it can happen. But the issues are judgment, grace, purpose. Why do you think this book that Rick Warren wrote, The Purpose Driven Life, is so popular? Because people are looking for purpose. People outside the church are, are reading that book. And we find our purpose in the church, in the realm and in the will of Jesus Christ. Number two is it adds value. The church adds values and dignity to human life. What organization stands more than the Christian church or other than the Christian church? None. No other religions. The, the value of human life is exemplified in Christ's teaching. The value of human life is in, it, 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 it's supported and fought for by the church. The church, uh, the church counteracts the negative message by preaching God's word of love and acceptance. We don't go out like the Muslims. Somebody doesn't want to be a member of this church. We don't kill them. No, seriously, you know. You, you find there's a whole bunch of religions. They don't debate with you. They don't try to tell you. They come up to you and they ask, are you a Muslim? You know, that was the Middle Ages. You had to be careful because, you, you know, you kind of had the Muslims and the, the, the Christians. Uh, you needed to be aware of who was in control. One time they come to town, are you a Muslim? No. Cut his head off. Next time they come to town, are you a Muslim? Yes. Cut his head off. So, you know, you needed to be aware of who was asking that question, I guess, is my point. So... But, but, but what I'm saying is, is, is that uh, we preach love and acceptance. We want to we convert people. We want to bring them in. We don't just, either you believe or you die. That's not the church. The third thing is it provides a moral and a spiritual compass. Let me tell you something. If there's anything we need in society today, it's a moral and a spiritual compass. We have absolutely lost our way. Not those of us so much who are Christians. I mean, it can happen. But as a society uh, and, and in the youth culture, we have absolutely lost our way. We have just absolutely lost our way. We are in many instances, many ways, like a ship that is being tossed in the midst of a storm, and, and we don't know which way to go because we have thrown the compass overboard. That's the last thing you want to do in a storm, I believe. I'm not... A Navy guy, but I'm sure you don't throw the compass overboard in a storm. You know, I know Clayton's on submarines. Uh, there's probably not many visual references in a submarine. You 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 follow the compass. You follow wh whatever you know, whatever they do. Let, but let's just call it the compass, because apart from that compass, you're not going to know where you're at. Unlike other institutions, this is, this is a, an important one. The church has motivated the most lasting and selfish essential courageous endeavors on earth. What am I talking about? When I was a member of the Gideons, the, 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 uh, uh, the, I think they make that statement about as well as anyone. You know, the, the things that they support with, with distrib distribution of the word of God, uh, missions, missionaries, churches. You know, people rail against the church. Let me tell you, 95% of the hospitals in this country and in the face of the earth 
were established by the church. A lot of them by the Catholic Church. A lot of them by other churches. But as institutions, what are they there to do? They're there to help people. They're there to see that people are healed. They're there to see that, 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 that their needs are addressed. The church, more than any other institution in the history of this world, more than any other government in the history of this world, has reached out to help people. Now, the Gideons don't go down to the pool hall. At least they didn't when I was a part of the Gideons. To solicit money. Why? Because nobody did, first of all. Well, but second of all, where do you go? You, you go to God's people. And the Gideons, of course, are just an outreach of the local assembly. They come to God's people and they say, we want to accomplish God's work in the world. Bob goes to a different church. You know, he, he, he's a different person. The Gideons are all like that. We all go to, we were, you know, when I was a member, we all went to different churches. But the issue of we all had this common goal. We wanted to see the word distributed. We want to see the truth get out. So you go to people who want the same thing. And that's the church. That's nowhere else. The final thing, I think the most important thing, the church is where you find compassion and healing and community. It's a place where good things happen for you. You will become most like those people with whom you feel loved and accepted. That's the struggle that we deal with as parents with young people. They become accepted within a, a certain group of people uh, unknowingly that sometimes they're just tolerated. But if they will adhere to the um, behavior of that group of people. I had a young man that was in my office some time back and, and, and just broke down and wept. Knew, knew that God, he'd, he'd been spoken to here in this assembly uh, by a gentleman who was a prophet. Uh, I mean, I'm, well, Gary Batt, matter of fact, you know, Gary Batt brought him forward, read his mail, told him, said, you know better, you were raised better than that. Came into my office and we talked and he said, just cried. I can't give up my friends. I know they do wrong things, but they're my friends because they accepted them as long as he was tolerant of their behavior. And they were, they were taking him straight to hell. The issue, again, is when he was encouraged to get back into church, make new friends, couldn't do it. Knew that he should do it. Knew where he was headed, but that is the power of the world and how it, how it comes against people and the influence that it has, has on people and young people. I, 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 I will close with this, uh, and, and I was reminded of this because uh, my son came home this last week, my oldest son, and he was born on March 21st. Told my wife, said, hold out for 10 more days and he'll be born on the same day I'm born and it'll be easy to remember, but couldn't do it. Couldn't or wouldn't. I don't know what. Just, <laughs> just about three or four weeks before he was born, 
I lost a brother. That's 27 years ago. I lost a brother in an automobile accident at 18 years old. And I can sit here today and I can tell you there are many things I have forgotten in those 27 years. Many things about those days that initially followed the news of his death. But one thing I remember, I remember the compassion of people. The first two people who came to my parents' house, I don't see Johnny here today, but Johnny knows he's a kiss. I, in my mind, that is like yesterday. And though, I, like I say, I forget many of the things that transpired, I remember all the acts of compassion that believers and people showed to me just by coming. And, and, and this is the only place, this, the church is the only place where you'll find this. It's a good place to be, and we should encourage others to be there. It has become my family over the years. I, I, cer I certainly have an extended family, but I have a church family. And I have been a part of that church family for so many years, but it is the family that I consider my own. So, in closing today, the church is relevant. We'll study a little bit more this evening, or we'll learn a little bit more about how God established the church and, again, why he established it. But the church is the most relevant institute. Don't let anybody tell you it's not relevant, it's not needed. The more time you spend here, the more time you become a part of it, the more time you open yourself to God's spirit, the more you want to mature and grow, the more you'll realize the importance of the church. And the more you'll want other people to be a part of the church. It's like the ladies going to Mexico. Who else goes to Mexico and cleans up schoolyards and, and buys ice cream for the kids and paints buildings and stuff? Do, do, do the guys down at Jack's every Friday night say, who's going to Mexico with me to paint the school? Buy some ice cream. I don't go down there, but I'm assuming they don't do that because they don't go. It's up to us. And it's what God wants us to do because he wants us to have, we have a good thing here. We have a good thing here. You do not know. I'll tell you, when I was diagnosed with cancer and I went to the hospital, the, the only issue in my mind was let's resolve this issue and get rid of the cancer. And you know what? Again, I want to thank every one of you for your prayers. I want to thank every one of you for your cards. I want to thank every one of you, whether you sent a card, if you prayed. And I know you did. I can feel. Just like you can feel in the air those things that are black, I can feel in my hospital room the prayers of my brothers and sisters, it's like, it's like the fresh spring rain that just cleans the air. And I want, to know, I want you to know I'm grateful. I thank you, every, each and every one, for, the, for your, your, your commenting. I am grateful. This is a good place to be, and I want other people to be able to experience what I've experienced in my many years here. As we close today, I'd like everybody to bow their head. I'm going to tell you this is not a tremendous salvation message, but I have explained to you what it is that Christ came to do and the community that he established and desires for you to be a part of. 
And I've explained to you, I hope, what that community has meant to me. So as we close this evening, as we...